Thank you, praise team and everyone. Uh, if you get a chance, go ahead and, um, this is for the people on YouTube, go ahead and check out the intro video if you haven't seen it. But anyways, um, I'm super excited about this Lenten season. As you know, it's the 46 days, or the 40 days minus the Sundays. Um, and I'm excited for the sermon series that we're going to go into because I think really it gives us a, a chance to collectively as a community to do these things together, to practice these things together, to keep each other accountable. And then second, the reason why I'm really excited is because I feel like something that's been happening with us lately through our, our sermon series and stuff, uh, through Esther and things like that is like God is really trying to do something. I really feel that in a conversation that I'm having with other people. I feel like God is trying to trying to push us into something. And so I feel like this is going to be a really good way for our community to respond. Uh, and so... I really hope that through this season that you would take the time to really practice these things along with everybody and that God will really do something in us as we do them. But uh, let's quickly go over how we want to approach this series and then we'll kind of uh, walk into it. Um, because Pastor Goose and I are going to be preaching about different uh, spiritual disciplines as you heard. But each week we're going to be focusing on a specific spiritual discipline. Today, Sabbath, next week Pastor Goose is going to be talking about prayer and so on and so forth. Uh, and as we learn the reasons behind these practices, right, Pastor Goose and I will also be giving you very practical ways to suggest how y'all can keep up with these disciplines, right? So you're going to learn the what, like the what is Sabbath today or what is prayer or what is this, right? You're going to learn the why of what all these things are, and then maybe most importantly, you will learn the how, right? It is our job, Pastor Goose and I, to give you the how so that in the, throughout the week, we can practice these things together to actually day by day in a more of a very practical, uh, you know, disciplinary setting that we could indeed do these things. And I feel like for us, as we do this together, young and old, that we're going to really be able to grow intimate with one another and more importantly, grow intimate with God. So we're going to jump right into Sabbath keeping today. And as a way of, of starting, and again, I'll practice or I'll explain to you a little later what we're going to do. But consider these two quotes, okay? And then as I read them, uh, a lot of quotes today, but as I read them, Ask yourself, which one of these two do I relate to more, okay? So as I give you the two quotes, which one do I feel more connected to? And be honest. Don't, don't fake it. Just be honest. Which one do I connect to more? Here's the first one. It's a bit long, but uh, we'll go through it. It says this. Most people, bing, there you go. Uh, yeah, there you go. Most people in the long course of human history, some 100 billion of us, have struggled to have enough to eat adequate shelter, and sufficient clothing. Yet here I am, with more than enough clothes in my closet, more than enough food in the cupboards, a leak-proof leak roof over my head, and yet I am still tossing and turning about existential questions like whether my life has enough meaning in it, or whether I'm doing enough for the good of the world, or whether I'm wasting my life. Perhaps this stems from this subconscious perception that everyone around me is doing great and extraordinary things, far more impressive than I myself am. Starting nonprofit organization, mentoring at-risk youth, making millions and giving it away. But I'm flat out weary from the ever-present fear that I'm falling behind, that I'm not getting ahead, that I'm not doing enough, not producing enough, and not swinging the hammer high enough or hard enough. Quote number one. And the second one. Again, ask yourself which one you relate to more. Second one. They, Sabbath keepers, speak of feeling treasured and protected. Their character is deeper their ideas are fresher, their spirits are softer, their courage greater, their leadership stronger, their concerns broader, their compassion more genuine, their conviction more concrete. They have joy in their difficulties and wisdom beyond their years. Now, I think we can agree that rather than the second but the first, that the second one is the one that the vast majority of the world would relate to much more than the first. 
And the difference between the two, as you heard, is Sabbath keeping. Difference between people who swing the hammer all day and feel like they're never doing enough versus the people who feel treasured and rested and overjoyed is Sabbath keeping, in my opinion. That the reason why our Christian lives, and for many of you in here, you've been living it for a very long time, the reason why our Christian lives often feel exhausted, like we're running on fumes, barely holding on and keeping up, is because we don't keep Sabbath. And let me be very honest with you. Sabbath keepers are rare. They're like a fine jewel. And because they're rare, they're also really easy to spot. Now, the first quote that we read is what's often, or is describing what is often called the rat race. There's even a movie made about it. It's kind of uh, really interesting. It, has, it features Mr. Bean. I'm dating myself from way, way, way back. But here's some definitions of the rat race that I found on the internet. This the first one is uh, from Merriam-Webster. Rat race is the strenuous, wearisome, and usually competitive activity or rush. Anything that is strenuous, wearisome, and usually competitive in an activity or rush. Hmm. How many of us, that's like all of our lives, all the time. Or dictionary.com says this, any exhausting, unremitting, and usually competitive activity or routine, especially a pressured urban working life spent trying to get ahead with little time left for leisure, contemplation, etc. We happen to be all caught up in this life that tells us that if we ever stop to rest and reflect that someone else is getting ahead Someone else is putting in more time and dedication, which means that, and most importantly, while others are getting ahead, you and I are falling behind. And the church, unfortunately, not too different, I'm afraid, that most often when you dive deep into the life of the church and the people who serve, most of those who are actively participating, serving, including pastors, and maybe mostly pastors, if we're just being honest, that we are experiencing and living lives that are, as the definition exists, we're experiencing lives that are strenuous, wearisome, exhausting, unremitting, and fiercely competitive. And to compound the issue, as you may imagine, this rat raceness is one of the, if not the biggest obstacles in our intimacy with God. But otherwise, you get caught up in the rat race, you can kiss your intimacy with God goodbye. It doesn't exist. So the question is, what do we do? How do we combat this? And the answer is fairly simple. It's what we're doing today. It's remember to keep the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. So before we go any further, you got to ask yourself, what does it mean for me to do so? But more importantly, how do I feel today? Am I the rat raceness person or am I the Sabbath keep? Sabbath-keeping, treasured, joyful, honored person. And none of this will help if you're not being honest. Don't fake the funk. Be honest, and then hopefully we can get somewhere. Now, first, the why the Sabbath, then second, the what of the Sabbath, and then the how. First, why. Now, a bit of a history lesson really quickly for you to understand what this is, right? Sabbath-keeping is the fourth of the Ten Commandments that God gave to the Israelites, right? And it's super important to remember that the reason God gives the Ten Commandments in the first place is found in the very first line of the Ten Commandments. And we'll read it here. It says, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And the reason why this is important is because it means that the only reason God gives the Ten Commandments in the very first place is because he saved them from slavery. And he's saying, now that you're free and no longer a slave, here's how you need to live life so you don't go back to being a slave. I've rescued you now, and here's how I want you to live so that you can indeed protect and enhance this life of freedom that I've won for you. 
And for the Israelites, that was huge, right? Because he did the whole 10 plagues thing and the splitting of the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. So for them, this was big. Which means then for them and for us, that if we do not keep these commandments, then we will all find ourselves living lives of slavery and oppression to one thing or another. Which then means, if you dive a little deep further, right, is that Sabbath keeping is crucial to us living lives of freedom, joy, and life. Lives that the second of the two quotes we read earlier tells us we can live. But here's the nitty-gritty after the history lesson, okay? Here's the first thing, three things that this, this commandment teaches us, right? Oh, oops, we totally forgot to read verses 8 through 11, which is the actual commandment. Let's do that really quickly. Did I put that on the slides? I think I did. I totally apologize. I got whoop. Uh, let's read verses Exodus chapter 20, right, uh, verses 8 through 11, okay? This is, this is the commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in the six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now that we have that out of the way, I apologize, God. I should have read your word first. But anyways, here's the three things that we learned. First, and this is really crucial, and we need to listen. The first thing we learn is that God has built into us and the world a rhythm of time, something that most of us, if not all of us, do not keep. And it's what I and my professor calls the six plus one rhythm. Did you know that the rhythm of life is six days of work and one day of rest. Not five days of work and two days of rest, which is what most of us like to do. Or four days of work and three days of rest. Or for many of us, seven days of work and no days of rest. It's six plus one. You gotta get that straight. And the only reason why you see that is because in all throughout Exodus, you see God commands oxen and donkeys to rest. Did you know that? Animals have to rest on the seventh day. Did you know that in Exodus, one of the laws is that the fields, literally the entire nation, have to let the fields do nothing but rest every seventh year? The jubilee year, the seventh of the seventh, 49, the 49th year, right? Did you know that the entire nation had to let all their debts and all their slaves and everything go free? It's built into who we are, this six plus one rhythm. The rhythm is built into the very fabric of our being, our souls and our psyches. If you violate this rhythm then you are violating and, viol- and doing violence against yourself as a created being of God. If you do not rest the one day of week, you will surely burn out. But if you do not work the six days and you play too much, you will surely then, the opposite, you will bore out. So ask yourself, are you keeping this rhythm? Six plus one. And Keep that in mind as we go forward. The second thing we te- uh, that God teaches us is that our work, no matter how good it is, is not our worth. We saw this in Esther, but our self-worth is not our net worth. And hear this. No matter how worthy your work or my work is, and let me tell you, I think my work is really worthy. I'm thankful to be able to do this as my career and as my job and everything that I do. But no matter how worthy your work is, It is never and never will be your ultimate worth because your ultimate worth can be only found in a person, in a relationship with that person, namely our Yahweh God. Which means that even you're serving in the church, no matter what ministry you're a part of, 
And of course, that's really good. It's really important. It's really worthy. But even that is not your worth. You need to hear this. For all of those who you serve diligently every single week in whatever capacity you do, your serving is not your worth. Which means you cannot make the serving you do on a Sunday what you are worth. Only God is your worth. Which means that if you place your worth in anything that isn't God, then you will un- inevitably, guaranteed, idolize your work and end up ruining your life in the process. But if you stop to rest and worship on this seventh day, then you will find your worth in God. And if you find your worth in God, then you will stop to rest and worship on the seventh day. That's how it works. This is what allow many of you to continually serve on Sundays and still find this day, Sabbath day, restful, worshipful, and refreshing. So if you're following then and processing, then you'll realize that when we keep Sabbath, you will then get in touch with your eternal value. And you will get, regain then an eternal perspective. You will then reroute and reboot your lives in an eternal way. A life found in the maker. A life found in the jealous lover of our souls, who is Jesus Christ himself. So the call is then to stop for one day. To then shift your entire focus off of yourself, off of your work, off of your worth. And then shift it onto Yahweh and his work which will then bring you back into a full relationship with him. And you know this, because in truth, anything without Yahweh, our work simply does not work, does it? And the third thing we learn, and maybe the most important, is that a life that does not keep Sabbath cannot be the best life. Let me read for you a couple quotes by a theologian by the name of Ronald Wallace. It's a, it's, a, it's a long one, but I'm going to read them slowly, and it's important I'll explain. But let's consider these quotes. He says, after each day, after each day's work, God, he pauses, stands back, and he collects himself again. He looks with careful judgment on what he has accomplished and pronounces it good, right? Genesis 1. And on the seventh day, after he has completed all things and he's made man, we read, that God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. Genesis 2.2. This picture of God pausing and resting from his work, I imagine I'm kind of doing this, maybe. Maybe he doesn't cross his arms, maybe. Reminds us that God has given only a limited amount of himself to the task of making and upholding the heaven and the earth. God is then free from what he has made. He has kept his real self then apart from creation in such a way as to be able to look upon his creatures, rejoice over them, and relate himself in complete freedom to them in a way, in a new and fresh way, a way in which he had not yet given expression in his creative activity. That the Lord rested the seventh day means that he has not allowed the activity of the days of creation to exhaust him or bind him and has limited creation purposely. Which means that he has something to say that could not be said in the work of the six days. Something to give that cannot be given through all the enthusiasm and wealth he has put into the world in creating it. Long story short, here's what this means. It means the fact that God took six days to make all of us in the world and then rested on the seventh. It means that God is keeping and has kept and reserving and has reserved something of himself that you and I can only get in Sabbath threats. Which means, just putting it blank, just straight layman's terms, that if you are not keeping Sabbath, you're getting gypped. 
You're only getting whatever six-seventh of God is, and you're missing the one portion. And guess what? You can never get that one portion of him unless you keep the Sabbath. You're only getting an incomplete portion of God. And when I look at that, I go, mm, H-E-L-L, no, thank you, because I want all of it. See, then your life and my life, it's not just missing out on something, but we're missing out on the best thing and therefore the best life. Now that should make you think for a second. Which means you can do everything in the Christian life that everyone's told you to do. But if you're not keeping Sabbath properly, you're not getting all of God. Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody and not getting all of them? Students in the room, can you imagine being in a relationship with your parents and not getting all of your parents? And maybe some of you experienced that and I feel my heart breaks, but you know how this feels. It sucks. Like, you, like, like the other person is holding out something and you always know, suspiciously you know that that's what's happening. This is kind of like it, that God has said, if you do not keep Sabbath, you will not get all of me. That should be reason alone for us to go, wait a minute. Another quote by Ronald Wallace to kind of Continue. Again, I apologize for the long quotes, but bear with me. He says this, I will put a Sabbath day at the heart of the order of things in this universe, and I will bless this Sabbath day weekly as it comes around. And on this day, I will communicate to man my own Sabbath rest. And on this day, I will truly share with him that which is in myself, which I have kept back so far from creation. On this day, I will come near as the God of rest, joy, and freedom, whose delight is to give rest, joy, and freedom before myself. Listen to me as I draw near to speak and respond to me, God says, as I draw near to offer you my fellowship and to seek this day to draw you to myself. Cease from your absorption in creation and look up and take from me that which cannot be found in the routine and rhythm of earthly life and with toil and rest, its work and play. Don't or won't keep Sabbath, then your life will always be missing that little bit of extra juice, that oomph that you can only get while keeping Sabbath. And no wonder our weeks feel like such a struggle. Like we're just dragging ourselves through the mud because we lack the oomph that we are meant to have. I'm not bragging, but when I learned this, I said I cannot do this life without that little extra oomph. So as you know, I take 24 hours from Sunday night to Monday night, and the world can be falling apart, and I will not answer my phone or do any work that, that adds to my worth as a pastor because I am a human being, a created being first. 24 hours, God says to rest, and I'm going to take all glorious 24 hours of it. I'm just doing what he tells me to do. Now then, the what, or, and also the when, the Sabbath. Sorry, I don't have more time to go, but first the when, quickly. We keep Sabbath on a Sunday because some people think you should do it on a Saturday, but we'll just, whatever. Because, unlike Israel who kept it on the seventh day, which is a Saturday, Sunday is the day on which Jesus rises from the grave. We're about to celebrate that. And because Jesus rises from the grave, he's inaugurated a new creation, a new life, where death has no sting, where God has defeated all enemies to rescue his people. And so for the first day is now greater than the seventh day. Though God, Yahweh, in beginning rested on the seventh day, Jesus rose on the first day, and so now we celebrate Sabbath on the first day. I could talk 40 minutes about that, but that's all I will say today because we don't have the time. Now, the what. What is Sabbath? Well, you got to get back to the text, don't you? What is the command, right? 
And the command that God tells us in Exodus is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Let's break that down for a second. Notice how the command, while it does mention that we ought not work, isn't about not working. The command is about keeping the Sabbath day holy, not about not working. This is a mistake that the Israelites made. They made everything about not working, and they made a ton of rules. I think 1,500 of them or some crazy number like that. Right? And so notice these things about the commandment. First, the, the commandment is to keep the Sabbath day, not to make the Sabbath day holy. You need to hear this because we often, I think, try to make this day holier than the other days. You don't. We just keep it. God has already made it holy and will continue to do so. But the second, maybe more importantly, is this word holy. What does it mean to keep Sabbath holy? That's what you're supposed to do. Well, the word holy in Hebrew literally means something like separate from, other than, unique, or different. So let's reread this commandment then this way. To keep the Sabbath holy, as God says, is to then do something like this. To set aside this day. A separate day from all the rest of the days to make it a unique and holy day, purposely set aside for the holy and living God. It's like Thanksgiving in my house. If you've ever been to Thanksgiving in my house, it's special. You don't touch Thanksgiving in my house. If you come to Thanksgiving not ready to eat, you should leave. If you, don't, if you come to Thanksgiving not ready to do nothing but eat and watch football all day, you should leave. If you're going to do work in my house, get out because I don't need none of that. Two turkeys, a baked one and a fried one, 12 side dishes, and we eat all day long. And we watch football throughout, and that's all we do. It's a celebration. There ain't nothing like it all year long in terms of food at our house. That's what Sabbath day is supposed to be like. Although every day is indeed the Lord's, the Sabbath is a special day where we stop everything we do, the rat raceness of our lives, to intentionally be in relationship with God and say, this day, God, for 24 hours is yours and yours alone. I ain't doing nothing else but focusing all of my attention onto you and the things that you say are important for this life. Here's a quote from my friend, Mike Yankowski, who wrote this book, fabulous quote on Sabbath, and let me read it for you. He says this, Sabbath is a day in which we cease doing anything that feels obligatory and instead focusing on resting, embracing, and feasting. Can you imagine? The workaholics in the room are cringing right now. It is a day for delight, for sleeping in, for making love if you're married, for eating delicious meals and leaving the dishes until tomorrow, for taking long walks, for sitting in front of the wood fire and reading a novel. No chores, no obligations, no homework, no email, no bills. Did you hear that? No homework, no emails, no bills, no chores. Nothing at all that feels like work. Nothing that seems to be oriented toward productivity or achievement. In short, no swinging of the hammer, whatever form it may take. So here's then is Sabbath for us. I've redefined it for you this way. Sabbath for us is this, and you'll see it on the screen, is pausing and stopping from the idea that we must always be doing something, swinging the hammer, to completely set aside a day each week to say no to the rat race. It's taking a day of worship, community, life, joy, and finding rest in all of that. It is taking one day to concentrate, to focus, to deliberately be ever more present and attentive to the four relationships at the heart of our being. And all of you know this, our relationship with God, ourselves, one another, and creation. Maybe it's daunting for you to think about that. But I promise you do it, your life will change instantaneously. Don't suffer the consequences as we've been suffering for a very long time. 
I have the opportunity to speak at a lot of different churches throughout my life, and I'm thankful for them. When I go talk to their leaders and talk to all these other things, somehow, some way, always, this conversation comes about me taking my Sabbath on Monday. 24 hours of no emails, no phone calls, no texts, no nothing. I put it on Do Not Disturb, and the only phone call that comes through is from my wife. I kid you not. Or my mother-in-law. Because she buys me coffee on Mondays. And people go, what? And then I ask, wait, you guys don't talk about the Sabbath? Like, they're like, this is a foreign idea to them, that their pastor would rest for a day. And I go, you guys don't keep Sabbath? You guys talk about it? So I ask them, when's the last time you talked about Sabbath? And they go, hmm. Have you learned anything about the Sabbath? I'll ask them. They'll be like, I mean, it's a commandment. That's all I know. I go, I think before we get to the how, for me, not Sabbath keeping or our inability or failure or whatever word you want to use to not keep Sabbath is, in my opinion, the reason why the church is the way that it is. I feel like if all the churches, starting with the pastors, this is a challenge to Pastor Goose and I, let me just tell you, because pastors are the worst offenders of not Sabbath keeping. If we would just start to keep Sabbath just a little bit, I'm telling you, everything would be different. But now, the last part, the how. And with the all-important question that I've been asked, how do all of us then, even those particularly who serve so much and have to do so much on a Sunday, actually keep it holy? How do we do this? Very important. And I'm going to address, and this is the very practical part, so please pay attention. First, two don'ts. One, don't create rules, but maintain a posture. The Jews, as I mentioned earlier, created 1,521 rules, and it sucked the life right out of the Sabbath. Mark 2.28, Jesus says, The Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That people are always more important than the Sabbath itself, which is something the Jews clearly forgot. My professor says it like this. He says, our needs are greater than not breaking the rules. We need Sabbath to enhance our lives and not to drain the life out of it. So don't let that happen, because it can. Second, don't then, is don't just rest and relax. Sabbath is not just taking a day off or not doing work or not doing homework. Because let's be real, if that were the case, all of us would just literally sit and bum around. Half of us, maybe, or more, I hope not, wouldn't even come to church then. I'm just going to, it's an R&R day. I'm just going to chill out. During football season, I ain't coming because I got football games to watch. The Texans are on. Be a Cowboys fan, it's better. Just kidding. Right? Don't, don't just rest and relax. To be clear, taking the day off doesn't mean that you experience Sabbath and what God has withheld for you in Sabbath. Okay? So don't make rules. And don't just rest and relax. But now then the five verbs, and we'll finish here, okay? Five verbs that will help you to keep Sabbath. And here's the practical part. Your job this week is to do this, these five verbs. Which means, what well, once this video goes online, hopefully tonight, then you can go online and you can take a snapshot of these five rules and you can practice this. So you don't have to take in the notes. You can just go back to the YouTube page and then find this and then do this this week. You need to. And then by the time we get to next Sunday and Sabbath, then hopefully you'll have done all these things and you'll be ready to take your Sabbath. But here's the five verbs. Okay, first, desire. Desire the Sabbath rest. Ask yourself this question. Is this Sabbath life what I actually want? Ask yourself that question. Do I want what we've been talking about? Do I actually desire the God who is responsible for giving me this Sabbath life? And I know, it sounds simple that we approach each Sabbath day with our hearts full of desire, our desire for God, desire for community, desire for wholeness, desire for being rich. But it's not as simple as you think because many of us, I think, desire this day just to be a break, a break from all the rigors of life. It 
Is what you want a Sabbath day, a break from the fact that you've made all of this, serving on Sundays and doing this, your worth? We have this nasty tendency as human beings to make everything that we do about our worth. If we do it well, if we do it poorly, that, that reflects on who I am and how good I am and so on and so forth. If I have a bad hair day, it tells you that I'm ugly or you know, better looking or whatever the case might be. If I don't wear the right outfit, so on and so forth. We have this nasty tendency to do that. But more than that, you desire God at the heart of the Sabbath. So first, you've got to ask yourself, do I actually want God looking forward to God this day? Nothing else but just the Lord. Do I desire that? Because he is our ultimate worth, as we talked about, not anyone else. First word, desire. And the second verb, after you figure out that you want to desire it then, is to decide. Decide to obey. Decide to trust as you, decide, or as you desire the Lord, excuse me, decide that you are going to listen to him and do the things he has taught us. Are you going to decide to keep the six plus one rhythm? Which means, oh, for those of you who work Monday through Friday and get a Saturday off, guess what? Saturday is not an off day. It's a work day. I promise a six plus one rhythm will change your life, but it also means that a six plus one rhythm changes your Saturdays. It may be to you, this would be like, oh my goodness, Pastor Pete, that's going to make my life even crazier. But I promise it will indeed be different. Because then as you take the six plus one rhythm, you're deciding to set aside this day as a unique, holy, and different day dedicated to God, dedicated to his people, dedicated to your own worth and your own love and your own self, and then to creation. And maybe the thing that you need to ask yourself is, is God right? Is he smarter than me? Or am I smarter than God? Is the six plus one a thing because he says so? Because he's God and he creates things by speaking and I can barely, you know, get myself dressed up properly every day? Like, am I going to trust him because he's better? Decide. And then once you've desired and then decided, then the third verb, change the routines. This is whether you put the first two verbs in practice. You ask yourself, how am I going to change my routine so it actually becomes six plus one? Students, I'm going to tell you this right now. you got to finish all your homework by Sunday. I don't want to see no more homework at that table on Sunday mornings. i got a test on Monday. I don't care. Because what, you think God can't help you? All your, your, by the way, you're people made in God's image. You think your brain is intelligent enough to retain the information if you study properly? Come on. Don't be that low on yourself. Like, you are people made in the God, in the image of the Almighty God. Like, come on, let's be real. Working people, it means that you get all your work done by Saturday night, your bills, your chores, your emails, your prep for Sunday teaching. Teachers in the room, let me tell you, you better get all your prep done so you don't need me to tell you what to teach on Sunday morning because you've already done it all because it's six plus one. I don't need that work on Sunday morning. If you're a meal prepper, people who, if you don't know what it is, don't worry about it. If you're a meal prepper, prep all your meals by Saturday night. If you're like my wife and you need to clean the house for you to feel safe and sleep, then clean the house by Saturday, whatever it takes to make sure that this day is holy. Praise team, let me talk to you. This is going to freak you out maybe. Praise team, if this day is your Sabbath day, maybe you don't actually practice on Sunday mornings because you practice on Saturday. Ain't that enough? Just a simple sound check takes five minutes. Why? Because you practice And then after you practiced Saturday morning, you went home and you listened and you prayed and you meditated over these songs because that's what it takes to prep for this Sunday worship. It's not your skills that make worship good. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you don't prepare. It doesn't mean all these things. You practice, but you come on Sundays to enjoy the fellowship of your fellow praise team, to pray together, to eat together, to grow in community. 
have a meeting in the morning, someone buy some kolaches, maybe some coffee, some OJ, and just sit and have a good time. No? Well, you got to practice again. Teachers, again, let me talk to you. Teachers' meetings. I've long wanted to not have these teachers' meetings. But we're to have them so that we can just fellowship, learn to love one another better. All of you are very smart people. I mean, I, I find it funny that all of you find, find yourself and, you know, worry so much that you're not going to do well. Like, we have, like, we have pharmacy doctors, we've got, like, engineers, we've got people who can't cure cancer and all this other stuff, and yet you can't prepare for Sunday school for 30 minutes on a Sunday? God, give me a break. But if you really prepped and trusted in the Lord, you think he's not going to then move through you? Change the routines and the rhythms. Look at your week. What I did was I took out my calendar and I looked at the entire week and I said, how do I get all the work that I need to get done to be a faithful pastor, to be a faithful this, and get them done in six days and not have to do it on the seventh? That's maybe what you need to do. Change your rhythms. That's going to be hard for you this week. Fourth verb then. Seek. Be intentional in seeking God's face on this one day more than any other. And by the way, for those of you who think that acts of mercy and serving is not this, you're wrong. Because in Isaiah 55, he says, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then Matthew 25, 31, 46 says that we meet Jesus and the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, and the sick, right? That whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So you can do all that. But let me get one thing clear. Just because you come to church on Sunday doesn't mean you're seeking the Lord. Let's be real. I mean, let me speak to some of the fellas out here. How many times we come to church because there was a cute girl? Mm -hmm. That's all you came for? Same thing for the ladies? How many of you come here because you want to look good and make sure that, you know, people aren't mistaking that, you know, you're not doing something, whatever? You come for Jesus for no other reason. So it's not even just not bringing your work. It's not even just bringing, not bringing your homework or not studying for your test on Monday. But it's indeed, in everything that we do, we're saying this day is for you, Jesus. It's seeking you in everything and everyone that I see. Here's my challenge, another one. There's going to be full of them this Lenten season. It's going to be hard. But what happens to our church if every single person in this room does not bring their cell phone and leaves it at home on Sunday? Because that cell phone ain't helping you to seek Jesus. Let's be real. When you're playing that game, sitting on the couch outside, it ain't helping you. Jesus is not in that game. I play with my friends online. Come on, give me a break. What if you don't come because then you can't watch your YouTube video? Because that's not helping you with Jesus either. I watch praise music. Come on, you're about to worship God with all these people. You need a YouTube video to tell you to do that right before? You don't. You bring it and all of a sudden you don't notice the people that are sitting here. You don't notice someone who's sitting alone. You don't know someone who's had a really bad day and maybe needs a friend. You don't notice anything. Why? Because your things are focused on this little tiny screen. Don't bring it on Sunday. Change the rhythm. Seek the Lord intentionally. Some of you say, I, 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 trust me, I thought about it. Some of you are like, well, well then my, my parents are going to be like, how do I get in touch with you? What, this, this church is so big that you can't find your mom or your dad somewhere? Say, I will meet you, 1.30 at this place. It's not that hard. Maybe the only person that brings, my, brings the phone is me. So your parents, they can call me on Sundays and be like, I don't know where my son is. Okay, I'll find him for you. What if we did that? You're freaking out in your soul, I know. But isn't that what it means to change, to decide, to desire, and to seek the Lord more intentionally than any other day so that you can worship my heart breaks, not because I'm mad, but it breaks when I walk in here and I see people already sitting down and all they're doing is this. 
You don't notice a single person. This is not to say it's your fault. For many of you who walk in here and walk out and think you don't have any friends, maybe it's because you're not looking up to actually meet somebody and see someone eye to eye and actually have a conversation. For those introverts in here who hate talking to people, maybe if you weren't looking at your phone, someone actually might come up to you and talk to you. It's not your fault, but you're not helping. We take time to talk to others, to enjoy fellowship with others, to eat with others, to drink some coffee. Did you know, because of mission training, there's almost always orange juice in the fridge. You can just have a couple orange juice with somebody. Bring it to somebody. Be like, hey, want some vitamin C? You know what I mean? Seek the Lord more purposely. Make this day 24 hours about him. Parents, let me talk to you for a second. That means you don't post things that your kids do in Taekwondo or, you know, whatever that you're doing and you put it online and doing those things because you put that away because that's not about that. Because it's about seeking Jesus first this day. This may sound, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to. But Hangarakyo, I love it, but I hate it on Sunday because it's not helping us seek the Lord. Is God smarter than us? Are we going to follow or not? And the last one, last verb, and the best one, saved it for last, celebrate. We celebrate this day because Jesus has done on this day what? He died and then rose from the grave, people. Hello. We journey to Easter in Lenten season. One day we're going to celebrate like crazy because Jesus died and then rose and he tells you that you will not have to ever be dead because you will live on for eternity. That is world-changing stuff. I know we get used to it because we hear it so often. But you celebrate this day because he's gotten up from the grave and said, death, you can kiss my you-know-what because you don't have no meaning in my life anymore. We celebrate that every single Sunday. This is the climax of all of our Sabbath keeping. Israel called Sabbath a feast, a day of rejoicing. So we find creative ways to make this day a festive day. My wife, every Saturday night, no matter how late it gets, because she's keeping Sabbath, will bake treats for Sunday for her fruit basket or for her senior class. Why? Because it's Sunday. It's a festive day. Let's celebrate. Eat a snickerdoodle. Eat a whatever. Do this because it's good. Because this day is not like all the other days in the week. It's the Lord's day, and I will be glad in it. Let us rejoice. Plan out celebratory meals with your family. Go to your parents and say, Mom, Dad, I want to have dinner with you. Let's go to a really nice place. Not because I'm spoiled, because I want to celebrate this day with you. Why? Because Jesus died for my sin and yours, and we can be together forever. You would literally blow their minds if you said that to them. If you don't know how to say it in Korean, come and ask me, and I'll tell you, or ask one of the people who speak Korean better, and they'll literally write it out for you. You can just wrote, say it. For the older 21 and over people in here, bust out the nicest bottle of wine you got on Sunday night. Save it for the Sunday night. Or if you're doing a Saturday night to Sunday night rhythm where you just start the Saturday night dinner, so therefore you end your Sabbath on the Sunday night right before dinner, and you're going to do that, then Saturday night, go on a really great date. Marry people in the room. Go out on dates on Saturday or Sunday nights. Make it a celebration. Why? Because God has given you your spouse and celebrate the living daylights out of them because you are so fortunate to have someone that loves you even though you know you suck most of the time. Let's be real. 
Whatever it takes, get out the fancy plates, the silverware, do the nice things, because this is a day you are called to celebrate the Lord who rose from the dead. Whatever it takes, because Sunday is a day we celebrate this. Every Sunday, my professor said, should be a Christmas. Every Sunday is an Easter. We should celebrate the salvation from death. Other people should be like, what in the world you got going on every Sunday? It's like a party over there. That's right. It's a party because Jesus rose from the grave, and I'm dancing because I can dance forever. What happens to the world if we live our lives this way? Now, celebration doesn't mean, one little side note, that you cannot or should not weep. Keeping Sabbath day holy does not mean that you cannot or you don't ignore or you ignore the brokenness of the world, excuse me. But you live in it because the Sabbath day reminds you that the brokenness of the world is only temporary, that indeed we have eternity with God. Maybe the celebration, maybe the Sabbath is the key to what we're missing. Because I believe with all of my heart that the world will not be won over by our coercion, by our force, or our guilt-tripping, or our persuasion. No matter how smooth talker you are, you will not convince the world that Jesus is good enough if you are not enjoying the life that he's given you and enjoying it to the full. Remember when Jesus said to the disciples, love one another as I've loved you, by this they will know that you're my disciples. If you're not partying it up because you know that death ain't got nothing on you and you can live on forever, well, then everyone's going to be like, what is the point of all of this? Only when Christians are realizing and really enjoying to the fullest God and the life that he wants to give will the others in the world who do not know him want to enjoy this life. So this week, friends and family, as I invite the praise team up, starting today, do whatever you got to do to keep the six plus one rhythm. Set aside the Sabbath day. Practice these five verbs. Go on YouTube, find them again, write them down, figure out how you need to do this. And maybe it just won't be on Sundays that we won't see the phones, we won't see the homework, we won't see the prepping, we won't see the practice. But indeed, this day will become a celebration of everything that we have. When it gets to Easter, I hope all of us will say, I don't give an F about death because death ain't got nothing on me. Glory, hallelujah. And we should live like it every single Sunday because that's what we have as God's children. Who am I, God, that you would think of me? Hmm? One final quote and then we finish. May this be your prayer. My prayer for you. Before I read it, let me just say, if we, our church, and let me just tell you, your parents ain't thinking about Sabbath right now, even though senior pastor preached about it this morning. Synergy. I didn't even talk to him about it. Just me. God is doing things. If we start this and you start this even more so than your parents, because your parents are bigger workaholics than you, we will change. Guaranteed. I wasn't going to tell this story, but let me quickly tell it. When I was in seminary, I was having the busiest season of my life. Mason was just born. I had a full course load in seminary. I was working a full-time job as a pastor. My life was insane. But then my pastor, my, my professor started talking about Sabbath, and I was like, I got to have that. And so I went up to him, and I was like, Daryl, I can't do that. Here's my life. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry, Pete. I was like, how do I keep Sabbath? And he goes, maybe you take 15 minutes, 15 minutes in between the things that you do and just pray and give it to God. And so I said, okay. And then he said, just do that. 
And so I did that for a day. I went outside, spent 15 minutes before I went home. I didn't do anything. I just sat, just sat there. And then on the way to school the next day, I took 15 minutes. And after that, I just loved like the 15 minutes of rest so much. I was like, you know what? I got to do this. I got to take 24 hours. I don't care. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. So I looked at my schedule. I took it out and I realized I have class from Wednesday, 9.30 to 12.30. And I have class on Thursday until 2.30. So I was like, ooh, 24 hours. I'm going to take this as Sabbath. And I said, for the rest of the semester, I don't care. I'm going to do it. Every Wednesday night, my wife and I went on a date. Every Wednesday night, we did something fun. Every day after that was done, I put all my work away. I just enjoyed it. I listened to my favorite music. I ate good food. We had all these things. We started serving, right? I started serving my mother-in-law. All these things. We had dinners at the house. I would make, you know, fancy whatever dinners, and we did it. That semester, did you know? My, I'm not boasting. I'm not that smart. My average grade average in all of my classes was a 98.9 out of 100. It was the most productive semester I've ever had in any school in my entire life. But I took 24 hours in the middle of the week to stop and do nothing but celebrate. So let me read you this quote and challenge you. Maybe you can't do the 24 hours on Sundays. I get it, but it's your heart. Remember, don't make rules. Maintain a posture, and maybe you will indeed, and we will do this as a community. Let me read this quote, and then we'll finish. And then I want you to think about what you're going to do this week. Here's the quote. Listen to me as I draw near to speak. Listen. And respond to me as I draw near to offer you my fellowship, to seek this day to draw you to myself. Cease from your absorption in creation and look up and take from me that which cannot be found in the routine and the rhythm of earthly life with all of its toil and rest, its work and play. That's my challenge to us as a church, folks. And I know that you have it in you because God is in you. And if we have this, we will change. So this week, as hard as it may be, you better get ready to work six days and then rest the one. I really hope when I come back on Sunday, there's no phones, there's no work, there's none of this. Now, if you do bring it because you can't and you're not down with it, that's cool. No judgment here. I will love you the same no matter what. But I hope that you would want this life as much as I do, as much as God wants it for you, and that you would take the time to do so. And then we will change. So we take some time think about the first two quotes again and ask yourself who am I which one am I and which one do I want to be you don't have to put it up and then the praise team will lead us out in worship we're going to sing this song simple pursuit take us back to the very simple thing may that be your prayer so you pray and then respond and give God this week and then give him the Sabbath day that you can get from him that which he only gives on the Sabbath day amen take some time to reflect and then we'll sing and close